1: Thanks for downloading this show from PC One. Before we get rolling, here's a word from one of the folks who helped bring you this podcast. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal.
2: edition of the eddie trunk podcast which is new every thursday podcast one.com and itunes coming to you from los angeles this week at least this open is as uh, i'm in la for the entire week doing a week of radio on my daily show on volume on sirius xm 106 had a great week already with guests like dave navarro and Kevin Cronin, and Michael Anthony, and Corey Taylor. And we'll bring you some of those interviews on upcoming episodes of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you for listening, downloading, streaming, whatever it is, however you connect. We appreciate you doing so. Thank you to all our great sponsors. They make this podcast a free occurrence. Remember to go to podcastone.com, find all the great sponsors of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Because of them, we can bring it to you each week with limited ads at no additional cost to you. And remember, if you heard a sponsor that you want to try out or forgot a sponsor and want to see a list, you can access them by clicking on the Killer Deals button at PodcastOne.com and visiting the Eddie Trunk Podcast page. We only approve sponsors that make sense for my audience, and each of those sponsors are listed there with the banners linked to the promotional deal and the promos listed by the brands. Everything you need, easily accessible in one place. So thank you to our sponsors, and thanks to all of you for supporting them. In addition, the Eddie Trunk Podcast is a participant in the Amazon Associates program, an affiliate advertising program designed to provide a means for me to earn fees by linking to Amazon.com and other affiliated sites. You can link to Amazon, and please do so at PodcastOne.com on the Eddie Trunk Podcast podcast. Page. So I was in L.A. I've had an interesting week since I was with you guys last uh, last Thursday. I started out in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I saw Alice Cooper play a week ago. Exactly. And his phenomenal band. Alice is still so good. I, I said this to Alice and maybe we'll get you that interview as well coming up, because I brought this up to Alice when I saw him. We are in a a day and age where everybody talks about artists ending and these older artists, how much longer can they go and who's still good and who isn't good. You never hear that with Alice Cooper because he is still so good. He shows no signs of wearing down, and his band is so good. Saw him play at the Brady Theater a week ago last Thursday. Great set from Alice. And then Friday, I did my volume show from Tulsa, from the IDL Ballroom, and I had Alice Cooper come on the show with me, spent an hour with me, had Don Dokken on, spent an hour with him, and then last Friday night, I hosted a Dokken show from Tulsa. Then I flew to Los Angeles on Saturday, where I still am, if you're hearing this on post day, and I, uh, I decided to... Come over to LA where I was going to do a week of radio, but also the thing that brought me to LA was the Dio Cancer Fund and the latest charity event. I host a lot of the great Dio Cancer Fund events. And I came over and hosted The Ride from Ronnie, which was last Sunday in Encino, California, a motorcycle rally that culminated with a live concert in Encino. Bunch of bands performed, everyone from Eddie Money to Lynch Mob to Steven Adler to Dio Disciples. Rough Cut, and many others. It was great to see everybody. The weather, a little iffy, on and off, rain, sun, rain, sun. But money was raised for a great cause for the D.O. Cancer Fund. Appreciate everybody that came out, and it was definitely a a great afternoon for the fund, and it was a great honor to host it as I've had the chance to host so many of these great events for the D.O. Cancer Fund. So thank you to everybody I met in Encino last Sunday for the Ride for Ronnie. What we have for you this week on the Eddie Trunk Podcast is something I've been sitting on for a little while to bring to you, but we are backlogged with interviews, and we've got some great long ones for you. And this week features the lead singer of one of my favorite bands in the world, and that, of course, as you know, is UFO. Phil Mogg doesn't do many interviews. He's not really an interview-centric sort of guy. He... As very a uh, very private guy, and he's not somebody that's really uh, in a comfort zone that he likes to go out and push and promote things. But he was nice enough, Phil Mogg was, to come over and sit in on my volume show for almost the entire program prior to UFO playing at B.B. King's in New York. UFO recently wrapped up a tour of the U.S. with Saxon, and Phil Mogg didn't do one interview on that tour. And after he was done with the interview he did with me, he said to me, it'll be the only interview he'll do for the next year and a half. He's just not a very interview sort of guy. He, he, at this point in his career, after all these decades of making music, he just lets everything speak for itself. He's not all that comfortable talking about himself. But I was very grateful and very honored that Phil thought enough of me and my love of UFO to join me in the studio for what I think you will enjoy with one of, I think, the greatest underrated singers and songwriters in hard rock. So Phil Mogg is coming up, and during the interview, you will hear uh, us be joined towards the end by a new young guitar player by the name of Jared James Nichols, who really is a great emerging talent. People ask me a lot about new players and, Who's good out there? Are there any great players anymore? And I can tell you that Jared James Nichols is definitely a guy to watch. And he was in the third spot on the tour with UFO and Saxon as the opening act. And I thought it was a great choice. You have these two heritage, old school classic bands. And then you had this new young kid opening up and just blowing people away with some fiery guitar playing and great, great singing as well. So Jared has definitely got to keep an eye on, and it was telling that Phil and the UFO camp brought him with them to do my interview, and we include him towards the end of the interview a little bit as well. So the bulk of it is Phil Mogg and talk about UFO, and then Jared James Nichols, a new young artist, tagged on at the end because he was in the studio, and Phil wanted to include him a little bit in the interview, championing some new talent. So we appreciate both of them coming by, and I really think you're going to enjoy this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast, which, as usual, is produced by Katie Irizarry. And as is the case most times, the interview originates and comes from my new daily rock talk show, heard live on Sirius XM channel 106 every day, Monday to Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, replays 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Time on channel 106 on Sirius XM. The show is called Trunk Nation and the channel is called Volume. So we appreciate you checking out the radio show live each and every day, and we also give you a little taste of some of the interviews here on the weekly Eddie Trunk podcast, which posts new every Thursday. Connect with me on my social media, at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. EddieTrunk.com is the website. Music News, connect with me through that platform. Uh, There's all sorts of great stuff up there for you guys to check out. You can email me through the site as well. It's all there for you at eddietrunk.com. Merch store, books, T-shirts, the whole nine yards. All right, we got to take a break, and we will come back, and we'll get into it for the week with Phil Mogg and a little bit of Jared James Nichols on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. There's something about True Car a lot of people don't know, and that is that using TrueCar can also help you buy a used car. In fact, there are over 700,000 pre-owned vehicles available from True Car certified dealers nationwide. Whether you're looking to buy new or used, you can get upfront pricing, information that empowers, discounts off the list price for used cars, and a better buying experience All through a True Car Certified Dealer Network. Check this out. There's over 700,000 pre-owned vehicles available from True Car Certified Dealers nationwide. And you'll see what other people paid for the car you want so you can know what a fair price is and feel confident. And who doesn't want to feel confident? With TrueCar, you can connect with a local certified dealer of your choosing so you can enjoy a quick, easy buying experience. Using TrueCar, you can easily find the new or used car you want. So, you absolutely have to check out TrueCar when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states
0: this is norman lear with my great
2: sidekick paul hip
3: good to be here with you norman on all of the above that's the name of my podcast all of the above and uh, it's called all of the above because we're going to talk about all of the above there isn't anything sacrosanct.
4: There's nothing too above us or um, below or us. Or
3: below us. Well, certainly nothing too below oh. us. But we have had guests. You cannot believe the yeah. guests. Julie dewey Dreyfus. Amazing. Yes. And America Ferrara. Jared Carmichael. Yes. Oh, Amy Poehler. How did we overlook? We didn't overlook Amy Poehler. I was saving her for last. And Charles
4: Barkley, I was saving him for first, actually, because I didn't declare up first.
3: I get to hang out with this guy. And this is your chance to hang out with Norman Lear a little bit here and some of these great guests.
4: God, I wish I was you
1: hanging out with Norman Lear.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Son of a gun. That
1: must be exciting. It's the best, I'm telling you. Don't miss all of the above with Norman Lear. Download new episodes every week on the Podcast One app or subscribe at podcastone.com. This is the Eddie Trunk
2: Podcast. All right, as mentioned, this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast, one of my favorite singers and songwriters of all time, incredibly underrated. He is a founding member of British rock legends UFO. He is the only guy that has appeared on every single UFO record ever released, and he was nice enough to take time out of his schedule and do really, as he said, his, his only interview that he plans to do for the next year or two he even made me a bet at the end of the interview off the air. Uh, Phil Mogg. It's great to spend time with Phil, so influential to so many, so loved to so many, but honestly, to a lot of people, unfortunately, way too unknown as well. So we're going to try to change that, as I've been trying to do for decades, and some time with the leader of UFO, Phil Mogg. And by the way, as I mentioned, this interview was done on the second-to-last stop on the recent UFO Saxon tour. I'm hearing from very good sources that there's likely—that tour was very successful— uh, that it's very possible there will be another leg of UFO and Saxon touring in America, maybe even before the end of the year, and that could get announced any day. So good timing for you guys to listen to Phil Mogg of UFO recorded for my serious XM volume show. That's where this aired live about uh, about a month ago in New York City. Enjoy, everybody. Phil Mogg on the Eddie Trunk podcast. Good to see you, Phil. It's lovely to see you too, Eddie. I hear that this is uh, from your your agent over there. The first and only interview you've done on this entire U.S. tour.
3: Oh, I haven't done an interview for five years. So, um, <laughs> no. <laughs> Are you
2: serious? Yeah, kind of to be avoided. Why do you not like doing interviews? Do you not like talking about yourself?
3: Well, you might ask strange questions. You know, like. <laughs> no, I just <laughs> yeah, basically yeah.
2: Is, it, is that what it is, or are you apprehensive about people going into areas you don't want to deal with, or that you just don't like generally? Well, I'm not overly
3: keen on chatting about myself.
2: Were you always like that?
3: No, of course not.
2: Why did it change, you think? I grew up. <laughs> <laughs> well, back in the old days, did you do the bulk of the publicity for the band when you first started?
3: Yeah. Most of uh, the interviews? Well, a lot of them, yeah. Uh, well, Pete did. Pete Way. You and Pete, yeah. Well, no, Pete was good at doing it. Yeah. No, I mean he could talk the hind legs off a donkey. Uh, <laughs> he's really, no, he's good at that kind of chat.
2: Right. You know, and he make things up that you know,
3: wonderful at doing it.
2: Oh, he would. Uh, he would take the piss, as as they say.
3: Oh, he had a very elaborate imagination. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: So, would you read interviews that Pete Way did and be like, well, well, that didn't happen. Where did he come exactly. up with
3: that? Yeah, and he's still doing it. Still yeah. now, <laughs> of course, yeah. Take everything he says with a pinch of salt. Uh,
2: well, Pete, of course, hasn't been in the band for a while, but uh-huh. uh, he is a founding member with you and, and Andy. Are you in touch with them still?
3: Not for a while, but Andy calls him occasionally with his to see how his various illnesses are going, yeah, and what the state of play is. But uh, no, I haven't spoken to him for a couple of years.
2: And and what does Andy report back? Is he doing okay? Do we know?
3: Yeah, but then. You never know with Pete. He's <laughs> apparently he's doing okay. Yeah. He's got that uh, an album's coming
2: out. Yeah, yeah. I've seen some stuff online that in a book as well. So a novel. Considering the stories you told that oh, he likes my to tell, God, my what's that going to say? <laughs> Just hope I'm not in it. Yeah, I, I don't know how you wouldn't be in it, Phil, in no. some way, shape, or form. Oh, it's got to be bad. Would you like to write a book at some point?
3: Not really. No, no, I don't think there's uh No Peter probably be best at
2: it. Yeah. Yeah. Talk, can 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 we now we're of course talking with Phil because UFO is in New York, uh one night last night at BB King's, which was absolutely phenomenal tonight, night number two, which I'm pretty sure is sold out. As we are sold sold out tonight in New York. And then as I said, the show's uh wrapping up Penn's Peak uh Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, that happens on Saturday night. And then the final show, which is in Boston, that is also sold out on Sunday. Saxon, Jared James Nichols, who is sitting in the corner over there. Uh, well that's why they're selling out.
3: You know. <laughs> if
2: Jared wasn't here. Because Jared's I mean, on the bill. Yeah. He's driving the whole oh, thing. Driving force. So how has this tour been for you? Biff was here yesterday. He says it's been fantastic. Yeah, it's been very good.
3: Um the gigs have been great. The atmosphere has been really good. So, no, it's been uh, excellent.
2: Talk about the idea of coming over and touring with a band like Saxon, because the last few times UFO has played here, they've been your, you know, just your own shows, and now you're kind of doubling up with another band that has a very much loved fan base here as well, and obviously a, a great British hard rock band. Do you have a lot of history with with Biff and those guys, or? How did that no, come the only about?
3: time we've met was at uh, festivals somewhere, um, you know different festivals, and we just met up. So this is the first time we've, um, actually, in fact, this is the first time in years that we've actually toured with another band. Apart, I mean, unless you go back to the old days when we, you know, did Cheap Trick and ACDC, all that Judas Priest, then right. But so this is the first time we've done that uh, in years. But it's um, it's
2: worked out really well do you do you like coming over do you like still touring at this point after all these decades or is it just kind of something that you you know obviously you need to do especially the, that records don't sell the way they used to uh
3: it's the playing bits still good uh, this is a bit in between that becomes a bit of a pain
2: the other twenty two hours yeah having it's you do radio interviews. nine hours
3: in a bedroom <laughs> you start to climb walls <laughs> but um the, the playing's the the main Enjoyment of it all. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. So, it, so that's still that's still a charge for you to walk out on stage. I mean, you've been doing this nearly nearly fifty years at this point. Yeah, have I? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you have. No, thanks for reminding. me. Well, I mean, it's <laughs> most of it's been amazing stuff. It's great stuff, but I mean, there's still that charge. You still love the walking out on the stage and 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 delivering uh, like you do. That's still I something think that's you look the to.
3: thing with um, the music, Ha! <laughs> the Malar music stuff is that um you don't really get bored with it if you're um if you're sagging a bit you might hear something on the radio which gives you a bit of a what was it the other day? I was in a bar and um I think it was Gary Gary what's it Junior? Gary
2: Parker Gary G- Clark Jr.
3: Gary Clark Junior came on and I thought, Ooh, that's good and you get the the interest bit there as comes back so playing is really you're still the same interest you had when you started.
2: Yeah, yeah. You, um, you're a big fan of of the blues, are you not? You, blues is, is really at the core of 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 what you like musically. Is it? Is would that be accurate?
3: Yes, the kind of grit that holds it all together.
2: And yeah. what do you hear in young Jared when he opens the shows every night, uh, putting him on the shows? So. Oh, it's
3: God sent. <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, okay. He's got Jared has his hand in his now he's got, over he's, got there. he's
3: got the bass down there. Yeah. No it's real good.
2: Yeah. So what when you were growing up as a kid in England, what was the music that shaped you that inspired you that wanted made you want to do this?
3: I got um taken to some gigs by uh, I I fell in with an older crowd and I got taken to some gigs when I was about 15 and uh, I think the first one was The Animals with mm-hmm. the Club Norwich in Tottenham. And that was something I hadn't seen before, and I found it really exciting.
2: What know? about it specifically? What did you, what what moved you about it? Was it- live
3: music? Right. It was live, blues based, um, and just very exciting. And then it was the the Yardbirds at the Marquee. Yeah, the Yardbirds at the Marquee. But that, I managed to see the same lineup with um, Beck, Page, and Clapton actually all played in the same band at the same time really so that was a hot band and um then it was well, you know the 10 years after da, 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 and
2: yeah it was, a, it was very exciting i think that's it so no, at that point how how far how long after that you're talking about at that point you're like 15 years old how long after that does it dawn on you that you say man i'd, I'd like to do that i'd like to put a band together i think i was bit more big-headed than that I said I can do that so so you had great confidence uh, even at 15
3: yeah I think that was more um more what was it loud loud something and wrong. Um loud ignorant and wrong I was I think it was just a bit bullshit you know when you're you coming up to that age in your 20s you're a bit headstrong
2: well so. when did you know you could sing
3: well, I started off trying to play the drums, and that was a failure. Then I moved on to the bass, and that was a failure. <laughs> so I said, "Right, I'll have a go at this." So that was the kind of a. It's a bit like one of those kids who wants to run before they can. They've actually got it down. Yeah, but um, I gave the other bits a shot, but wasn't very good at it.
2: Did you? Do you play any instruments now, just recreationally, or I write strum on drum
3: occasionally? You
2: do. Yeah.
3: If I want to clear a room or anything,
2: <laughs> yeah. Do you write uh, songs by playing instruments? Do you, do no, you write music? No, I generally
3: um, take what, um, what's on offer and um, mold the song around that. Like if you strum out some chords and I'll sing along to it, then we'll change it around a bit. So I generally work that way.
2: Do you remember the first time you sang for an audience? oh no no you just knew you could do it you didn't take lessons or anything you just got up there and did it though when you decided you were going to become a singer sort of learned from scratch
3: really um didn't have any help um which was unfortunate because it was obviously really scrappy when we started but um you get a bit better as you go along yeah
2: and when the band first came together, it was it was yourself, it was Andy, it was Pete, and it was a guitar player named Mick Bolton. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Yeah. And those first two records come out, and they really they didn't really have much impact anywhere except for Japan, right? Is that where they connected for you yeah, guys? Yeah,
3: we had a, a hit single over there with Eddie Cochran's come on Everybody, which charted, I think, in Japan. So then we got offered uh, to do some gigs there. So we went over to Japan from playing playing the marquee to a an arena thing.
2: You were big enough to do an arena at well, that,
3: that point that already. That thing they do in Hibishi Park, what you know, that open thing they do annually. They have like a thing in the oh, park Loud, park, the well, no, of was, Loud Park. No, it was before, prior to that. It was um, Hibishi Park, I think. And they had a live bands there, so we got that gig, and, and then we did some other clubs
2: there. But uh, that was a good crack for us how did that band come together talk about where you did you grow up with pete um no thankfully
3: no (laughs) he's um no we met hanging around and um the roundhouse used to be open then and we used to meet sort of you know you get you'd meet people and then get chatting and then we ended up um all of us rented a house in bounds green and because. We started mick was playing pete was playing and um they didn't have a singer that was it and uh <laughs> i said "I'll oh, do it oh, i'll have a go at that so that's how that started
2: and where does andy come into the picture
3: uh he was looking for a drummer and um he <laughs> we discovered that um he had his own drum kit and he knew how to fix things which was a great plus we thought look he can drum and he knows how to solder <laughs> no, obviously it's a plus because the the gear was in a terrible state and um, he came in and fixed it it's lovely
2: so that band does the uh that band interesting story because you have these at the time very young uh, guys from england and uh, they put out their first uh, couple of records which uh, admittedly, for, for me and many people, the history of UFOs starts with Phenomenon and the record that would come after and the first record with Michael Shanker. But there are a, fa- a segment of fans that that like those two records. I, I believe that they were called in the press at the time Space Rock.
3: Yeah, that, that was um, at that period they had those all-night sessions going on at the roundhouse. and places, So you go out all night. It was a bit... I, it was during that acid period that... Um,
2: and Roundhouse was a club or a theater in England? What was it? It's in
3: Camden Town. It's a, it was a club. Now it's owned by the council. It used to be a railway turning shed oh, for trains. Really? But they used to have night sessions on, and you'd have uh, like the Pink Floyd, Small Faces, The Who, Jimi Hendrix, and they'd all be playing night. So wow. it was a great gig for us to go out and stay up all night. Did you see
2: some of those bands play back then?
3: Sort the of Floyd, The Who, The Faces, all down there. I saw Hendrix in a club, but um, they were all around playing at that period.
2: Of that period, what was the, those bands? These iconic bands that you're talking about. Of those bands, when you saw them, was there one that particularly resonated with you that you thought was was the best at that time? Well, they're all pretty
3: pretty good, yeah, um, and they all had their certain flavour. Um, the Who, which was very, oi oh, know what I mean, um, and the the faces were really good. Yeah. Really, Marriott was excellent live. Um, the Floyd's left me a little bit wanting, but
2: you know. Was that with Sid Barrett? Was he in the band? Yeah, then? it was for the very first few gigs, I think. So it must have been pretty trippy, I would think.
3: Yeah, oh yeah, it was all that. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Phil is the only guy in all the 40-plus the year history of UFO that has been in every single thing. You've never deviated, you've never wavered, You've never. there's never been a UFO that has not had Phil Mogg singing. And with all the lineup changes that have happened in the band, you're the one guy that has been there through thick and thin. Was there ever a period where you thought you were going to want to leave the band?
3: Not really. Um, I'm not very keen on change, so it was more convenient to be in UFO than... <laughs> to go scrabbling around for something else. You know, but
2: since you're not a fan of change, how do you feel about all the change that's happened in the history of the band, as far as the lineups of? It cons- just of seemed cons-
3: like a natural progression. It didn't wasn't like a major. Oh, the only major shock I guess we had was when Michael did <laughs> my first experience of someone walking you know so i wasn't wasn't particularly used to that
2: michael schenker when he when he left that was the fr- that was your first experience of someone leaving the band
3: no walking what do you mean walking walking out not leaving not like i'm going to leave uh, i'd like to leave and this is the, the... i'm giving you prior notice
2: oh just bailing basically yes yeah. that's what i get. right so it so,
3: uh, was my first experience of that
2: well we were going back to the to the earliest days of ufo and then that kind of segues into the Arrival of Michael and the Phenomenon record, which was, for a lot of people, that was the first record that UFO really connected on, a I would say, a global mm. level. Would you say that's correct? Yeah, absolutely. Chrysalis Records. And you mentioned 10 years after, before Leo Lyons produced the record, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and did that come about? Did you have some affiliation with him, or was that something that the label put on you?
3: Well, we managed to squeeze ourselves into the agency, because Chrysalis ran an agency first before they were a record company. Mm-hmm. And... Um, we thought it would be a good idea if we got ourselves into the agency and then into the record company. That was part of the plan anyway, So, which is what happened. And ten years after, Jethro Toll were on the same label and Chris Wright and Terry Ellis managed both bands. And it was a nice... It was when independent record labels were starting to become at their height with Virgin and everything, so it was a good move for us. And Leo was on the same label. One thing fell into the place of the other. And we got to also managed to get because Trower was on it too, Robin Trower, so we could get Jimmy Durin to do backing vocals for us. And it was a bit very in family sort of thing.
2: When when Mick Bolton, who was the original guitar player on the first two records, he leaves the band. When was the fir- who was the first person to approach you? How do you first hear the name Michael Schenker? Where does that first come on your radar?
3: We had uh, another guitarist with us, um, Bernie Marsden, and we was going to tour in Germany. And he'd forgotten his passport. That was it. And we'd arrived at the gig. with Scorpions were opening. And, um cause we didn't have a guitarist. And we needed the money to get back home and everything else. And we asked him if we could borrow their guitarist, which was Michael. And we'd already spotted him anyway and went, ooh, he's good. Like, mm-hmm. very good. Um, and so we said, can we borrow your guitarist? And Rudolph you know, said generously, said yes. Although we're not quite sure whether he thought, "Let's get rid of Michael now. <laughs> Let those poor sods have him." So that's how that uh, came about. And we ran through the set in the back of the car and went on and did it. Michael didn't speak any English, so it was it was kind of cool. And from then on, we um, we asked uh, if we could borrow him permanently.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did uh what were your first impressions of, of Michael Schenker, both as a person and as a musician at that point? Because at that point he's what, probably eighteen, nineteen years old, right? Seventeen. Seventeen. 17 18. Yeah. Um
3: Well it was an excellent guitar. I mean the guitaring right. went without without saying and um he was uh different. Um but it's it's difficult to understand when someone's German, you're not really unless you speak in English, you don't really connect. So it took a while to totally understand where he was at, but um, he had some quirky things. But kind of you think, well, that's normal, you know. Well, you, at the time you thought that was normal, um, but we got along well. We got along well together.
2: Uh, phenomenon, the first record you make with this, what many people feel to be is the the classic UFO uh, period. And the song, songs from that record, you still make up a big part of your set. You still do Rock Bottom, and you mm-hmm. still do Doctor Doctor, and all that sort of stuff. Talk about writing with him, because the bulk of that record was you, and and the bulk of all the albums with Michael are you and him writing the songs. Some Pete Pete contributed some here and there as well, but how did that work? Because you have a guy that spoke very little English, and you know you you have to you you, you crafted brilliant songs with this guy. How did the writing work? Well, he'd give you a tape, like a cassette,
3: with uh, loads of stuff on, bits and pieces and solos. So sometimes you'd find a a really nice... um, Like the solo out of uh, Try Me was actually a solo, oh, and Love to Love, was a solo to start with. So you'd pick the solo off of his tape and then get the chords and write the song around the solo. So he would give you a guitar solo first. Well, there'd be kind of rhythmic stuff on there and everything else. But if you listened through and you found a solo that was really compact and melodic and did it for you,
2: then you'd probably sort out the calls and build the song around the solo. Well, that That's really interesting that you say that because one of the trademarks of, of the many people who are influenced and love Michael Shanker to this day is his melodic playing that's the word you hear immediately the melody the tone the 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 solos are like songs so that's kind of interesting that you could work songs off of the melodies he would give you in a lead
3: Mm. no that, that was one of his pluses he would come up with a great solo so you could work from the solo backwards sort of thing
2: yeah right so the band the band's chugging along here now you've got this uh this this star guitar player and you've got all these elements in place and um you released this series of incredible records with him. The the arc of the band uh, here in America, and I can only speak from my perspective here in America, it seemed to go up with each record. You know, you, you force it and no heavy petting and uh, lights out and obsession and all, all the stuff. Were you happy with the way the band was progressing throughout the 70s with Michael? Or did you feel that things should have happened bigger and quicker for you?
3: No, I think they progressed to a really good pace um, particularly from the Phenomenon through Fawcett and the other ones and plus the fact we was working all the time so our fan base or the audience was getting larger every time and that was through just like sheer work so what we was establishing was just through work and doing the album so it was growing, growing steadily it was no big overnight thing
2: but was that preferable to you? Do you feel that that was a better way to grow than well, if you Well, Yeah, were there?
3: because the then the people t- tend to stay with you right. rather than just flitting and flit out.
2: What was the first time you came to America?
3: Oh god, that was
2: Was that around phenomenon or
3: Yeah, that was it. Um, that was a thrill. We haven't been... but, and <laughs> no. yeah,
2: I'd love to get your impressions and what you were thinking and if you recall at all.
3: Well, it was um oh no we went over to um to LA and we was picked up by p p r PNR guy in a convertible mercedes and um he had the stuff and we got in the car and it was he had the what i think he was a bit high um, <laughs> but, um so we we're in the car and the weather's lovely and we got a billboard up and we stayed at the Riot House right. on Sunset when it was all, you know, tacky. When
2: Zeppelin was throwing TVs out <laughs> the window? It was the same
3: period, yeah. So, um, or just after all that malarkey. And uh, so it was obviously very, this is good. You know, where you go, oh, I like this. You know, not been in warm weather that much. Um, it, was, it
2: was a bit of a thrill. Was that the first time you were introduced to the quote-unquote stuff? No,
3: not really. The world of drugs. Um, not really. You it just some... an extension. Um, <laughs> but it was, uh, oh, yeah, we did, uh, I think we did The Whiskey. And um, the other, oh, and then Down the Rainbow and all that. You know, it was, all, it was all new to us then.
2: So you liked it. You actually lived in America for a while, right? For a couple of years there, yeah. In, in LA. L.A.? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, the end of the Schenker era, which is talked about a lot, the last album you made with him, the studio record at that time, or the—I should say—the original Shankar era, because Michael would end up coming back a, a few times after he initially mm-hmm. left. But "Obsession," uh, yeah, I think is a phenomenal studio record. I was telling you last night that a band um, called Blood Divisions with Chris Jericho singing just covered "Hot and Ready" from that record. Um, people love mm-hmm. that record to to this day, as as they do "Lights Out," the record previous to it. And then Strangers than the Night is released, which is my favorite album of all time and I think the greatest live album of all time. And then just as it's really seems like it's at a, a bubble here in America where it's gonna go to the next level, Michael what how did you say, walks out, leaves? What yeah, is, did a did a walk out. Did yeah. a walk
3: out. Yeah. That was um Yeah, he walked out in the studio, I think, after rock bottom. Neverson Neverson said, uh, what was it? It was to do with changing stuff. And I remember Nevo saying, I ain't changing anymore. It's bad American accent. I ain't changing anymore of this. He said, it's a live album and that's it. He wouldn't change. I think he changed two things where the mic had screwed up. But he said, I'm not continually changing things. And they had a bit of a bust up about that. Michael wanted to change something two notes or something, and they had a bus stop. And I remember he walked out saying, poor, poor rock bottom.
2: <laughs> and I, I we didn't
3: see him for a couple of weeks. Yeah.
2: See, I know exactly the part, because I'm such a freak of that record, that I know exactly the part that Michael would have wanted to change because there's this one little muted note in when he comes back into the riff. But to me, that's one of the things that makes it such an unbelievable live album because it, it truly is real. It's 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 an amazing record and it's actually live, which so few of the records at that time were actually live. They were just studio re-records. And that's another reason why we have a producer yeah,
3: to say, this is how it's going to be eventually. You can have a row about it, but you need someone who's going to be there to put his foot down at the, the end of the day rather than the band. You don't want five producers in there. You want one guy.
2: There's nobody that I talk to that is a UFO fan that doesn't look at Strangers in the Night as the the epitome of live records the the peak of the band and all that um, you have people like steve harris of iron maiden who will sing its praises kirk hammett of metallica is, is another one mike mccready of pearl jam has a ufo tribute band that plays that record called my uh, flight to mars they're getting ready to do some shows did you realize the shows when you played them that were being recorded for that record did they feel special to you did you were you you were obviously aware they were being recorded but did did you walk away from those shows saying we just captured something that's going to no
3: no idea at all um the only thing that felt really good about it was the audience which um that particular town chicago and the gig what was it the amphitheater i think
2: y- yes yeah, the, the, yes
3: the, the audience was absolutely knockout, you know. Yeah. So that felt great. You didn't really have any idea. Of, no, I had no idea at all.
2: How do you guys deal with internally the, the walkout of Michael at that point? I mean, it's got to be a, a a really tough blow. He was, as as you said, and everyone's a phenomenal guitar player and, a st- and one of the stars of the band. I mean, how how do you recover from that? What's the thought process? What's the discussion internally?
3: <laughs> You're allowed to swear on that? Yeah.
2: No you can I, well it was a bit like well fuck him um you obviously you were yeah i would think anger.
3: not really we kind of had a was blo- slightly blase about it we went oh you know sonnet let's get in and then we started to immediately look for someone else to replace him so I, I think we was a bit uh hasty there but uh we was a bit brash too at that point you know
2: do you think, when you say you're a bit hasty, do you think that you could have given it, uh, if you would have given it a beat and thought about it for a bit, that there could have been a way to bring him back in?
3: Oh, no, I don't think that was going to happen. I just think we was just a bit hasty, period, in replacing him so fast, rather than just uh, waiting a little bit and seeing what materialized. Mm. You, um, you know, I don't know, he might have come back, but I don't think, I think the damage had been done by then anyway. Right. You know,
2: And if you look at Strangers in the Night and you look at the liner notes, it says, you thank, it says, special thanks to our friend and guitarist, Paul Chapman, in Strangers in the Night, which is obviously was a sign of things to come because Paul would come into the band shortly after. But that, the fact that you credited him like that in Strangers in the Night has led a lot of people to wonder and question whether Paul had anything to do with Strangers in the Night in terms of appearing on it. No.
3: No, not at all.
2: Where, how did he fit into the equation at that well, point? We used that to you
3: play p- with us. We had two lead guitarists uh, at one point, and Paul was one. Michael's the other guitarist, but that became a bit too much. It that was, was
2: way early on, though. Yeah, there
3: wasn't any space for two guitarists. Um,
2: but when Strangers was released, you had uh-huh. already was was Paul already the the guy? Was he already essentially hired?
3: No, we had um, some other guitarists were mentioned to do the gig but we didn't know any of them and I think we were just a little bit uh, a bit insular where we didn't like people that we didn't know coming in so we tended to go for someone we knew and you you knew Paul Chapman oh very well through through so playing with him when we had two guitarists. Oh,
2: okay, right, yeah, right. So and then he had a band called Lone Star as well, right? Yeah. Was that prior to joining you guys? Yeah. So you were aware of him from from that at some point? Yeah, but what, we'd what always, he was doing more recently. We'd I always
3: bet. kind of been in touch anyway, or we bump into one another. So it was uh, we always got along well.
2: Uh, Paul Chapman, a man who has uh, who earned the nickname Tonka. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Tell me why he was Tonka, Phil. <laughs>
3: Unstoppable. He could never, he'd be the last man standing. He would fall down, get up, and come back. And he's just it, unbreakable, you know, <laughs> like the toys. Yeah. Who right. gave him the name Tonka? Oh, probably Pete. Yeah, someone...
2: Coming from Pete? <laughs> that he well, was yeah. impressed with somebody's stamina yeah. in the partying arena? Well, yeah, we used to go, look at him, look, he's still going. Oh, <laughs> I
3: can't believe it. You know, well, he's Welsh too.
2: Well, what does that mean exactly? Well, he comes
3: from Wales. Right. Well, most Welsh people who drink, they tend to... Keep going forever. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Hey, yeah, I tell you, boy.
2: Yeah, <laughs> really. Are. I think the records that uh, that Paul Chapman made with UFO, I I feel are right there with many of the ones you did with Michael. They're some of my favorite records and songs. Look no further than yesterday as I sat in the dressing room and uh, and and started yelling out titles to to Phil. You got to play Terry. You got to play We Belong Tonight. Um, amazing records we got to take a break. We'll come right back with more with Phil Mogg on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. This This
1: is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Here's an interesting fact for you. There are nearly one million new books published in the U.S. alone every year. One million. So if you like to read, how do you choose what you're going to read? Well, that's where Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews comes in. You see, Kirkus has been one of the top book review publications for over 80 years. They do a deep dive on thousands of titles every year, including interviewing best-selling authors and telling you what might be the hot new release before everyone else knows. So figure out what your next read is going to be. Download Fully Booked right now on the Podcast One app, at Apple Podcasts, or at PodcastOne.com. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast.
2: Joining us now on the Eddie Trunk Podcast, along with Phil Mogg, is guitarist Jared James Nichols. Tell me about this experience for you to- on this tour, Jared. Uh, how did how did this come to you? Were you a fan of the bands
4: before? Absolutely. It was it's amazing. It's amazing for a guy like me. You know, and all this great music was before I was even born. And for me, as a Get him out of player, here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Phil just fell off his Uh-oh. Chair. That was the end of it. You're I'm off already the done. Tour. You don't remind the headliner of how old he is, Jared. Come on, now. Nothing to do with me. (laughs) (laughs) Things happen. So so the audience is, you know, I watched you last night play, and you're going on, for people who are going to these remaining shows, you're going on quite early because there's two bands playing full sets in UFO and Saxon. Mm -hmm. But you had a great crowd in there watching you. That's got to be
4: pretty good. Yeah, it's been unbelievable, actually, because... I mean, I know as a fan of a band, to go see the opening act so early, you're kind of like, what What the hell's up with these guys, you know? And for us, every night, to go up there and just rock them down and, and get fans of Saxon and UFO to get into what we're doing, for me, it's pretty unbelievable.
2: Where, what's your story? For, for people listening that have not heard of Jared James Nichols, where do you hail from and when did you start playing? And yeah, give them uh, the Reader's Digest story.
4: Yeah, real quick. Uh, born and raised in Wisconsin. Cornfields, Cheese. Uh, got bored, so I started playing guitar when I was 14. I was into classic rock. I I wanted to be a drummer originally, uh, but something about the guitar I was really into. I got excited about it, and I was, like, one of those kids that, like, spent, like, 12 hours a day just shedding, you know, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, all the classic stuff, and I got into blues, when I was like 16 or 17.
2: How did that happen? Your parents or uh, something? My,
4: my mom actually took me to like an open blues jam. It was like the first time I'd been on a stage. She's like, yeah, my son's a great guitar player. She goes to this super old guy from Chicago that's been playing blues since the 50s. and uh, she no, goes, pressure yeah, no pressure. Yeah, no pressure. And uh, can he come up and play? And I didn't even have a guitar. And she's like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, you can use my guitar. So there I am just shaking, you know, like, oh, my God. And uh, I really got into blues, really got into it. And... uh I wanted to, to play music you know from then on i was playing like four or five nights a week in the midwest once i got my license and i was able to drive because there really wasn't a law for how old you could be in the bar
2: mm.
3: young. So
4: young. <laughs>
3: <Sure>. <laughs> and
4: then uh i i wanted to do it for real and i wanted to do actual shows and real touring and and get out of the bars so i moved to la about five years ago and um I moved to LA and, and I didn't know what to do. It was like, I got off the bus. It was like a movie, you know? And it was like, like the I landed in Hollywood.
2: Like the Welcome to the Jungle video. <laughs> yeah,
4: there I was, man. And I was so, I didn't know what was going on. And uh, first thing I did was I entered a guitar contest and uh, I won it. And I was like so pumped. And one of the judges ends up to be this guy. His name's Phil Jargui. He owns a studio in LA. He goes, hey man, when can I hear your band play? It's like, I don't have a band. He's like, do you got, you got any songs? Do you sing? What, what's going on? I was like, I just got off the bus, man. I ain't got nothing going on. And, I don't even have a home. Yeah, I don't even know where I am, you know. And uh, I started working with him. I got, I got a few guys together, and I always love hard rock trios, blues rock trios, and that's what I wanted to do. And um, I thank my lucky stars now. We've been on the road for almost three years
2: you did some shows with Zach Wild, right? Yeah, recently? yeah. This
4: this last year, we were out with Zach Wild for about five months. We did uh, did like fifteen countries with him, mm. and and that was you know that was like boot camp for me. You know, yeah, I bet going through that was pretty pretty insane. And uh, man, now I'm out with UFO Saxon Legends, and uh, I don't take it for granted one bit. It's it's amazing to be able to to go out there and fire up the crowds every night for these guys.
2: And Joe Perry's son, Tony, has some involvement with your band, right? Yeah,
4: yeah. I met the Aerosmith guys when they were making their last record. Um, and I met Tony through his dad, Joe, and um, we we hit it off right away. And uh, we started hanging together, writing music, and um, yeah, now we're working on a new record. He's he's helped me write songs in engineering, and uh, we're working with Jay Rustin.
2: Good friend of mine,
4: great producer and engineer. Yeah, Jay
2: sent me a mix of a song for your next record today. Actually, absolutely sounded great. Yeah, Yeah.
4: so that's going to be coming out soon. And you know, for a kid from Wisconsin to be hanging out with those kind of guys, and we're recording at like Johnny Depp's place, and it's just insane. It's it's a really cool experience. And you know, for me though, being out on the road with these guys, that's where it's at.
2: Phil, had you heard of uh, Jared before this tour, or was it, was your introduction, to him when he he jumped on the tour?
3: Uh, just from the tour, yeah, yeah. that was uh, our first meeting.
2: Okay. Hmm. And uh, speaking of Jared, was talking about his role as an opening act, uh, as he is, in, at, at this point in his career. But uh, somebody, I don't know if it was Eddie, somebody in the studio here mentioned that you guys had, a, you guys were the opening act. UFO was the opening act for Ozzy at the time that Randy Rhoads died, which was 35 years ago, I think, just the other day. Mm-hmm.
4: <gasps> yep. Wow. What, is,
2: uh, what, what was your recollection of that tour? And, I mean, that, that tragic event, uh, how did it impact you guys at the time? Oh,
3: sorry. I was uh, – we tend to uh, – <laughs> sorry. It tend to, in UFO, we address everything with humor. Yeah. I'm trying to be serious. Right, now. right, right. Um, well, it was a bit of a disaster, you know. I mean, we was used to Aussie not turning up or not doing the gig. But this when this came back, I went, oh, you've, you're you joking, aren't you? This has got to be a bit of a joke. Because like, sometimes people tell you rubbish. And um, it was all true. And it was all rather, what's the word? It was all rather sad. Yeah. Yeah. Stop do, looking at that clock. I can see your eyes going up there.
2: No, I'm looking at that clock because oh, I don't you? want to run out of time. Oh, I'm
3: sorry. I was just wondering. It's, no, you know. it's
2: not. It's because I don't want to run out of time, but I'm going to because I have to end at a certain time. I just
3: wanted your listeners to know what you do.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm managing my time. <laughs> right. Um What was that tour like for you before that tragedy struck? You said Ozzy wasn't turning up? No, there was a few gigs canceled and cause
3: for some reason or another. So it was a bit of a bumpy tour to start with. Yeah, And it just went from bad to worse. And uh, that was the final, you know, full stop at it. And it was extremely saddening.
2: Did you have any um, interactions with Randy Rhodes prior to that? Did you guys hang out with him much well, or talk ra- to him? He them? was
3: around and he was, um, you know, the groupies really liked him. Um, he was a much sought after man.
2: Yeah.
3: And he had a great, you know, a great future in front of him. So it was cut short by yeah. some dickhead flying a plane.
2: Yeah, did you have a? Do you have a history with Ozzy? Do you know him well? Did you have you done a lot with him over the years? Coming up on the scene, we
3: Pete's played with him, I think, and yeah. um, we we did those, those tours and
2: everything, and uh, it was generally pretty good. Pete Way has the incredible distinction of being someone that joined Ozzy's band and lasted for about four days because he was thrown out for being even too wild for Ozzy. I mean, man, is that... Uh, is that, that that's a, hardcore. That's a, that's something that I don't know if anybody could ever have imagined uh, happening. Uh, Pete Way should have a nickname. If Paul Chapman's Tonka, what is Pete Way? Sepsis. <laughs> um, there's a, there's a, don't go near it. Oh. A, he he's such a lovable guy though, at least I think. I mean I don't know him that well, but he's he's such a he's such a nice man every time I've talked to him and uh I mean the influence of Pete, we talk about the influence of UFO. The influence of Pete, I mean, look at early Steve Harris videos in Iron Maiden. Uh look at uh Nikki Six the bass and the same striped pants and everything. I mean, that's, that all comes from Pete, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. You, you know you know uh, that Iron Maiden, I don't know if you know this, Phil. I'm sure you, you probably do. Iron Maiden, every single show that they play, their intro music is Dr. Doctor. Did you know that?
3: I've heard that before, yeah. Yeah, yeah. strange one.
2: The house lights um. go down. Dr. Doctor, Doctor, live version from Strangers, blasts over the PA, the crowd goes nuts, and Iron Maiden starts right when the song ends.
3: And as you said that about uh, that sort of thing, I'm just thinking who Pete was looking at before he nicked that off of who nicked that off of someone else before mm. someone else and changed it a bit and altered it slightly to become something else, which uh. I guess most bands do. You take something from somewhere, you twist it a bit, change it for your own, and that's how it continues mm-hmm. yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, well yeah everything comes from something right absolutely oh, yeah. should see gerard do the scissors
4: <laughs> oh yeah my scissors <laughs> trick do what? you wait, who's, to, who's who did no. oh, wait
2: till he does the scissors and the windmill
4: yeah the, the, windmill, <laughs> of course. Oh, the windmill are We're these guitar back. effects yeah you, do all, you know all he those guitar name, moves. You have name for your moves the no. shapes yeah it's, it's just all the stuff i've stole from everyone else
3: <laughs> <laughs> <See>? <laughs> and he's blended it into his own thing
4: you did uh, – you do some
2: – you cover uh, Mississippi Queen live, yeah, right? Yeah, Any other covers that we I didn't do,
4: hear? We do a ton of st- – I mean, it's funny because on these shows, you know, we only have a certain amount of time to play. But, I mean, we cover everything from Free, uh, Nugent. We'll, free, so. we'll do Steeler, oh. Fire and Water, uh, Mr. Big. I, I mean, it's to the point where, like, when we get together and, and jam before a tour, we don't really – we just – we just play and you know we just jam on stuff we love you know tons of skinnerd you know
2: the, the the music business now trying to break into it and come up into it radically different than when phil started radically different than when somebody would have started even 10 years ago from totally now. it's a, it's a completely different thing there's pros and cons totally to 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 all eras, I would think. Mm-hmm. How are you finding it? Because I get calls all the time from younger musicians, and they'll say to me, what do I do? How do I break in? What? Yeah. what, what, what do we need record labels? Do we not? I mean, how are you finding things? As 28, making your yeah. way in this business, getting some great opportunities, this tour, playing with Zach, the things yeah. you've done. But I mean, how, how do you find things right now?
4: Honestly, I'm, I'm I'm really inspired. I I don't know it any other way, so I can only see it from my perspective, but... I've always been a hard worker and I and I think that with the industry the way it is, you know, it's it's totally a do it yourself thing. And for us, you know, we get we get a call for a tour, we get in a van and and we go and we do what we got to do. And it's um I mean, the simple fact to be able to play with bands like UFO and Saxon to me, I w- I would do whatever it takes to get there. And I think any young guy coming up, if you really want to do it, it it's going to take way more than you think it would. It's going to take everything, you know for me, I thought being a good guitar player would be enough, like, yeah. you know, like, that's not the fact, it's like, that's gotta be there, and then, now it's about, you know, just just playing great song, writing great songs, there and, you, you go. know what I mean?
2: There you go, I tell people all the time, that, that call, and people who are in bands, I say this all the time, and this, again, goes back to the brilliance of UFO, Absolutely. and the consistency of UFO, because... You can throw a stone and hit a million amazing musicians. That's you right. can go. You can go to Los Angeles and go to uh, guitar uh, guitar center, and, and each guy will blow your mind more than the next as a player. Mm-hmm. But how many people have the ability to write great songs? Yeah. And sadly, a lot of these younger guys they don't surround themselves with people who will tell them the truth. Totally. The songs just aren't there, and I think that's the biggest thing. And I don't. To me, as a music fan. It has always been the most the, – the, the talent that I'm most amazed at is the ability for people to consistently write great songs. The writing part of it, to me, is what always floors me the most. Absolutely, And, and the people that – a guy – we just went through Phil's career. Here's 45 years of records that even a couple that I didn't like, they're still – Two or three great songs on them. Mm-hmm. So, how do you Which do? do you like? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I was, I was I,
4: waiting for that. I wasn't so
2: big into the misdemeanor period. It got a little too commercial for me, if you want me yeah. to be honest with you. Yeah. There are a couple points where it's just. Uh, uh, but but outside of that I mean it's pretty you, you pull out one record out of 40 it's not so bad <laughs> <laughs> apart from
3: that everything okay I
2: had a lovely <laughs> stay time was great huh. the, uh, Night Run and This Time was okay on those, was good on those records but it was just it got a little polished for me at that point but anyway I digress um I'm off the list tonight no. I can't come in. Yeah, today. that's it like Eddie. No, I'm it's just over. Glad you're digressing. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you don't want to dig
2: yourself a hole. But that's just it, writing the ability to write songs and that
4: <laughs> Yeah, it's the songs and and you know if it must be about the playing you have to stick out. You have to do something fresh, original, you know. I mean yeah, it's, it's about the tunes, man.
2: But you gotta, you got to admit, Phil told the story about when they were assigned to Chrysalis and first landed in Los Angeles for the first time, and a guy picks him up in a, in a convertible with all sorts of substances. Oh, yeah. There's got to be a side of you that, you know, the pure sex drugs and rock and roll side of this, damn, I wish I lived in 73 just for a day. To,
4: to me, that's all like fairy tales. I, I don't. Even, it's like tall tales I've never heard or seen. It was horrible. You know? <laughs> <laughs>
2: He's lived to tell about it. That's the most yeah, amazing he's, thing. He's a legend. Yeah, That's it. And, and still does it so well. Absolutely. All right, got to wrap up. What were you going to say, Phil? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing, sir. <laughs> We've got to start to wind down. Uh, I, I can't thank you enough, Phil, for coming in. Again, I appreciate it. Everybody, follow UFO online. the The website address is a bit convoluted simply because – Obviously, anything you type in UFO, you're going to get spacecrafts and aliens, but it's, I think it's UFO-info. You would, you probably don't know, do you? No. shouldn't <laughs> something like that. I think it's like US, it, UFO-info.com yeah. or something. So go there, and on Twitter, I know it's at UFO Rock Band. That I do know, uh, to follow what's going on with UFO. But if you can't find the website, go and Google and type in UFO Rock Band, and then you'll get... You'll weed out all the aliens and spacecraft and conspiracy theories of the world to get to the band's website. The new record is when, Phil? What's the date? Do you have a release date yet?
3: What month are we in now?
2: We are at the very end of March. March,
3: April. That's my birthday, by the way. All contributions, gladly sent to Um, (laughs) p.mog. When is your birthday? 15th of April
2: how old will you be 62 <laughs> no you're not yes i am, no, you're not. <laughs> yes, I am. that would have mean you were five when you got signed that's no problem <laughs> i know
3: some of us start young look at jared over yeah, there uh, look he started young
4: me and are brothers man. Uh, there yeah. you go eating
3: okay. che- all that cheese he's eating. that's why he's so tall <laughs> uh, <laughs>
2: so at mid-april for the new record
3: uh, no april may June, probably be towards the end of the summer
2: well, huge thanks to Phil Mogg for joining me on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. As Phil made his way out of the studio, he he bet me 20 bucks that he will not do any more press. <laughs> and I hope he does, because I enjoy reading interviews with him. But he is quite a character, as you heard. And it was a real treat and honor to have him on the show and have him stop by prior to one of two sold-out shows at B.B. King's in New York City and we appreciate that also thanks to Jerry James Nichols for coming by thanks to uh Dan DeVita their booking agent thanks to Eddie Oertel their tour manager, all making that happen. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview very much. Don't forget, the Eddie Trunk Podcast is new every Thursday, podcastone.com and iTunes. You know, next week I think what we'll do for you is my interview with Ron Nevison, the legendary producer who produced Strangers in the Night, UFO's trademark album, as well as Lights Out and... Obsession and uh, a bunch of other amazing stuff. So I know you guys have loved the recent interviews I've done with record producers. I do have one with Ron Nevison. I'll try to bring that to you, maybe even as soon as next Thursday's Eddie Trunk podcast. Keep up. Let I'll let you know what's going on on Twitter at Eddie Trunk, Instagram at Eddie Trunk, Facebook at Eddie Trunk on the fan page, and of course com is the official website. Have a good week, everybody, and uh, see you next Thursday for another all-new episode. Shaq. Have you had a chance to check out the number one podcast on Podcast One? That's right. The Big Podcast with Shaq. Me and my co-host John Kincaid and Rob Jenners, we have a blast. With way more than just sports, we have the biggest guests from entertainment to the NBA. Dwight, let me give you some championship advice. Let it fuel you, but never let it piss you off. Because you are a sensitive baby.
0: I am. I think all big guys I know you are. The Big Podcast with Shaq. With a new episode every Monday at PodcastOne.com.